It's Midday Magazine for Tuesday, August 1st. I'm Shelby Herbert. Almost 80 people paddled and paddled around the northern end of Petersburg's Mitkoff Island this Saturday. They were participating in the Pedal Paddle Battle, an annual event to raise money for the Petersburg Medical Center Foundation. The event is nearly a decade old, but some recent changes have dramatically increased fundraising. KFSK's Hannah Floor has the story. Paddlers in kayaks and on paddleboards left Scow Bay and the sun and wind on Saturday morning. They were headed six miles away to Sandy Beach Park on the other side of Mikoff Island. An hour later, bikers clustered at the bottom of Scow Bay's steep pullout. Julie Walker, the medical center's community wellness specialist, sent them off. And with that, the pedal portion of the pedal paddle battle began. That tongue twister of a name is new. The event has evolved over its nine-year history. Until last year, it was just the paddle battle, open only to human-powered watercraft, like kayaks and paddle boards. Walker, who organizes the event, says adding bicycles was a way to make things more inclusive. So we added the bikes because more people have bikes, more people are able to ride bikes. They didn't have to have a kayak, which not everybody has. Increasing accessibility has also increased fundraising opportunities. In 2021, coming out of a pandemic-related slump in participation, PMC CEO Phil Hofstetter promised to paddle in a ferry costume if the event raised $1,500. They met the goal, and Hofstetter did indeed wear the costume. Multicolored wings with a blue skirt and a feather boa. But last year's fundraising blew that number out of the water, raising more than 10 times the amount at nearly $17,000. That's partly because PMC added an element. Puddlers and paddlers were encouraged to get sponsorships from family and friends, pledging a minimum of $25 for each participant. Those paddling, pedaling, or sponsoring paddlers and puddlers are entered into a drawing for prizes, include Alaska Airlines tickets, a kayak, and a packable puffer blanket. Each time a sponsor or a participant gives another $25, the amount of times that they are entered into the drawing goes up exponentially. Julie Walker says that detail is important. The way that the, the drawing is structured really incentivizes people to go get sponsors, and we didn't have that before. The Petersburg Medical Center Foundation is a nonprofit that, among other things, raises money to support continuing education at PMC. The funds raised during the Pedal Paddle Battle will go to scholarships for PMC staff who want to further their education and to graduating high school seniors who plan to study in the medical field. The end point for the Pedal Paddle Battle is Sandy Beach Park. The staggered start times of the paddlers and peddlers are strategic. People start to trickle in by land and by sea at about the same time. Nine-year-old Grady Walker is one of the first kayakers in, paddling a tandem with his dad. He's sweaty and exhausted and immediately dunks his entire body into the shallow waters of the tide flat. His dad, Eldon Walker, says neither of them prepared for the paddle. No training whatsoever, and I definitely felt that on the way. Zero, zero kayaking to six miles and trying to be a little bit competitive uh, took its toll pretty fast. (laughs) The event is not a race. Another effort to make it as inclusive and inviting to participants as possible. But Grady Walker, who is organizer Julie Walker's son, disagreed with his mom's reminder at the starting line. 
That was the first thing Grady said when Julie yelled that from the beach. She said, this is not a race. And Grady went, looked at me and said, yes, it is. <laughs> Everything's a race when you're nine years old, I guess. As more and more paddlers and peddlers arrive, the atmosphere at the park becomes festive. The sun is out and hot dogs and burgers are on the grill. Then prizes are drawn. PMC's nurse manager, Jennifer Briner, gets her niece, Libby Thane, on the phone to give her some exciting news. Hey, Libby, guess what? You won a kayak at the paddle battle. You're going to have to learn how to paddle. Libby is just five years old. Another kid, eight-year-old Elliot Swanson, chimes in. Yeah, you won a kayak. Like a big kayak. The two kids are cousins. And it turns out that the winner of the Alaska Airlines tickets, John Swanson, is Elliot's grandpa. But Elliot insists that his family isn't particularly lucky. No, I, I think this, they just donated a bunch. The final numbers for the fundraisers won't be available for a few more days, but Julie Walker estimates that they raised at least $16,000. That's below their goal, but still a massive increase from years past. In Petersburg, I'm Hannah Floor. Young burn survivors from Indiana spend over a week in Ketchikan as part of a traveling summer camp. The Hoosier Burn Camp takes participants to different places each summer, but it's the first time the group traveled to Alaska or even got on a plane together. As Coast Alaska's Angela Denning reports, the trip has been a lifetime experience for some of the campers. The campers range in age from 15 to 20, a little older than the camp's usual traveling groups. This way, they can do more stuff in Alaska, like fishing for salmon. Fishing was great. I just love fishing, and it's just exciting. That's Jace. I caught up with him and others on a call during one of their breaks. The camp asked me to only use the teens' first names. Some of them have had dozens of reconstructive surgeries, and the camp gives them an opportunity to just be a tourist and step away from the stress. My first salmon I, I ever caught in my life was the biggest of the day. Austin was the very last camper to hook a fish on their boating trip south of town. He had doubts it would even happen. I was basically speechless once I caught it. I was just so happy, and that meant the world to me because I would, I didn't expect to catch a salmon that big, and, and I did it, so I've been pretty happy since then. The group of mostly teenagers also walked through old-growth forests, rode e-bikes around town, and took sightseeing flights. Flying was one of Jace's favorite activities. I just thought it'd always be cool to go on a float plane. Then we actually did. And laying down a lake out there, saw a whole bunch of mountains. It was really cool. It looked beautiful out there. There has been sea kayaking and beach walking where they saw a bear and seals. Austin likes some of the smaller creatures too. We seen a, a sea cucumbers. Uh, we seen that red spiky thing. Do you remember the name of that, Abby? And then oh, the yeah. urchins, the urchins, yes. Yeah. Um, that that thing was really, really cool. I didn't even know they existed. Hoosier Burn Camp was started by the Indiana State Fire Marshal and a children's hospital about 25 years ago. Its programs help kids rehabilitate physically and mentally from their burns. Mark Koopman is the executive director and is traveling with the group. In some instances, we work with children that have had 40, 50, 60 reconstructive surgeries before they turn 18. He says that changes the way they see the world and how they experience summer camps. The physical trauma associated with that is, is exponentially difficult. It's hard to wrap in, into words. But then when you talk about the psychological trauma associated with burn injury, that's a whole other thing. 
But he says sometimes the kids look forward to the surgeries too, when they help bring their bodies to their full potential, making trips like this one to Alaska possible. Koopman says their trip relied heavily on local donations like housing in a church and discounts on adventures. Ketchikan's fire chief Rick Hines helped make connections. He hails from Indianapolis and fought fires there for decades before retiring and moving to Ketchikan. He says Ketchikan generously welcomed the campers. Everybody that we reached out to through the Hoosier Burn Camp was like, yep, yep, tip my guides. You can go on this excursion for free or, you know what, I won't do any charters to stay and I'll take your folks out uh, on my boat or I'm going to charge you the minimum I can to, to operate or cycle my plane, you know, for three trips. Hines says the Hoosier Burn Camp is well known in Indiana. He relates to the campers in more ways than one. He's also a survivor. He burned his right arm on the job. The one takeaway really is the amount of pain that these kids have endured because there's no amount of pain medicine that can take away the the physical pain they were endure, you know, let alone the mental, the mental pain. So when the campers had the chance to take a dip in the cold salt water on a cloudy day and go all the way under, many like Austin said yes. We're here to have fun, make great memories. And that right there, that is definitely a great memory that uh, I will never forget on this trip, never forget in my lifetime. Campers not only hooked salmon on the trip, but several got hooked on Alaska and say they most definitely will be coming back. Reporting for Coast Alaska in Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. The Alaska Department of Public Safety has launched a new system that will let survivors track evidence kits used in their sexual assault cases. The goal is to assure survivors that something is being done. Jennifer Brown, with Standing Together Against Rape Incorporated, or STAR, a sexual assault support group and prevention organization in Anchorage, said the system was a long time coming. Survivors of sexual assault will be able to know that action is being taken on their kids. The new system comes after the state finally cleared a years-long backlog of untested kits. And it comes after years of problems with collecting evidence and investigating sexual assault cases in Alaska. Brown said the new tracking process begins when survivors first get examined. They're given a card with a code that corresponds to a testing kit and a nurse or advocate can help them set up an online account. The card also encourages safeguards for people who may be at risk from someone they live with, like avoiding autofill and saving passwords. For safety, sur survivors can also designate a family member, friend, or an advocate from STAR to be the one to get updates on their kits. Brown said the process is like tracking a package. The initial clinic has seven days to send the kit out. Then law enforcement has 30 days to process it. Last, it goes to the state crime lab. And now the limitations on those uh, kits being tested is a maximum of six months. But we're seeing that they're being tested a lot faster than that. She says that it's too soon to know how well the system is working. But for now, she's eager to see how it'll help survivors of sexual assault. Um, that's, a, that's a big step in the right direction. The tracking system launched in June. A 
According to the Department of Public Safety, 48 kits had been logged into the system as of last week, and 33 survivors had used the system to track their status. A 17-year-old boy died Saturday at the Glory Hole off the Treadwell Trail on Douglas Island. According to the Juneau Police Department, the boy was with two friends when he jumped into the water and did not return to shore. He has not been identified. The friends told police the boy surfaced briefly after diving, but didn't come back up. One of his friends called 911 around 4.45 on Saturday afternoon. Juneau Police, Capital City Fire and Rescue, and Juneau Mountain Rescue responded, but did not find the boy. Alaska State Troopers took over the search and found his body on Sunday. A trooper spokesperson said the boy likely drowned, but the state medical examiner's office would determine the cause of death. Officials say the area the boy jumped from was, quote, steep, treacherous, and difficult to move through, end quote. A consistent contender for the fattest bear and one of the oldest males at Katmai National Park has awoken. Bear 480, known as Otis, arrived at Brook Falls on Wednesday last week. Fans fear the bear had passed away. But as Brian Venois reports from Kodiak, the elderly ursine just slept in before making his first appearance on the National Park's live cameras. Katmai National Park has a 24-hour live stream of Brooks Falls every summer. It's where hordes of bears gather to catch salmon and a popular spot for crowds to watch them. Otis has become sort of a fan favorite. Felicia Jimenez is a media ranger for Katmai National Park. She says his late appearance is most likely because of a later salmon run in Bristol Bay. Things are a little bit slower to wake up. And, you know, we're definitely seeing that with the salmon run. The water level is a little bit higher. The water level has been colder. So we've been seeing the salmon a little bit slower to arrive, I'd say about a week or two late. Bear 480 usually comes out in late June or early July. Some fans thought he might not have survived the winter, but Otis finally showed up on the park's cameras last week. Jimenez's most bears that get to that age usually rely more on scavenging or begging for fish from other bears, but the public ought not worry about Otis. Bears usually live to about 20 years old, but she says he's still pretty spry for a 27-year-old. There's still really good signs that we're seeing from him. He's super old, but I mean, he's still very active. Um, when he showed up, he was immediately catching fish, and you know those are positive signs. He's still active, he's still moving around. Viewers of the National Park's live cameras can identify him with a few gray and white swirls in his brown coat and some damage to his left ear. He also is missing a lot of teeth. He only has about two teeth. Um, so if you see a bear with a floppy left ear who's pretty old and he's got like two teeth, that is definitely 480. Otis is also a consistent contender for the title of fattest bear at the falls during the National Park's annual Fat Bear Week in early October. Park rangers create a bracket of some of the biggest bears that wander the area, and the public can vote online for the fattest bear around. That competition is pretty subjective, so they're their favorite or which bear they think embodies fat, healthy bears the most. And so even though, you know, he's not the fattest bear anymore, he's usually up there in the finalists pretty much every year. Some of his rivals for the title include Bear 747, sometimes called Bear Force 1, who won last year, and Bear 435, also known as Holly. With a later arrival, though, Otis will have his work cut out for him if the old man wants to be declared the park's fattest bear a fifth time. 
Watching the cameras from Kodiak, I'm Brian Benoit. For KFSK, I'm Shelby Herbert.